Bibles, if you will, and open up and find your place in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll come to our text in uh, just a moment. I want to mention something to you, though, as, uh, uh, as you're finding your place, and that is that uh, tomorrow early in the morning, I guess about 5 or so in the morning, we have a team that is, uh, will be deploying to Louisiana for disaster relief. Uh, you know, we have such an outstanding team of uh, uh, servants and they've been all over the country literally and they were called I guess it was Friday Chuck um, and uh, were asked uh, to bring a team if we could deploy a team to Louisiana you'll be praying for them uh, as they go there there's no power they're staying at a church but there's no power or water if I'm correct uh, Chuck there so they're taking water and stuff like that but uh, you'll be praying for them as they they work I uh uh, I have a friend in Beaumont, Texas, who pastors a church uh, about uh, the size of Ridgecrest. In fact, I was supposed to preach for him in July until COVID uh, came about, and I got to thinking about him this week. And uh, so I called him uh, and talked with him on Thursday, and uh, I said, how did you guys do? And he said, amazing. He said, not a scratch on our church or any of us. And he said, as uh, he said, in fact, we're loading up to go to Louisiana to help people in Louisiana uh, as a result of the storm. So uh, you'd be praying for all of these folks and uh, these teams that are helping, uh, helping out. Well, we're in a new series, Life in the Spirit, uh, the normal Christian life. So I told you last week, life in the Spirit is the normal uh, Christian life. Some of you may remember a word, uh, we don't hear it used too much anymore. I heard it when I was young in ministry and uh, in our churches. How many of you have heard the word unction? Unction. Y'all remember the word unction? It was used a lot more years ago than it is today. And uh, I heard about a pastor. Uh, he was uh, a pastor, uh, uh, on a Sunday morning, he had uh, a deacon come up and uh, begin the service in prayer and uh, and he said, uh, Deacon began to pray, and in his prayer, he said, Lord, unctionize our pastor. And, uh, and he just kept on, Lord, unctionize our pastor. And he'd pray about a few more things, and he said, No, Lord, please unctionize our pastor. And it kind of bothered the pastor, you know, to have this deacon stand up there, can just keep on praying, unctionize our pastor. And so after the service, he kind of pulled the deacon aside, and he said, Hey, I need to ask you something. And he said, uh, what, what did you mean by, by that word unctionize? And the old deacon looked at him and said, well, I, I really don't know what I meant, but you ain't got it. <laughs> well, I hope that's not the case in this place, but we're talking about uh, the filling of the Spirit, to be unctioned under the unction or the anointing or the influence of the the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, uh, I came across a National Geographic article that, that was entitled uh, American Blackout. And it discussed a very real possibility that the electrical infrastructure of the United States could be attacked or simply malfunction with catastrophic consequences. Richard Clark, who was the former federal counterterrorism advisor at the time, warned that we were facing and as a nation continue to face an possible electronic Pearl Harbor. He said it could have devastating results with damage and, uh, to uh, our entire nation with thousands of deaths as well. Joel Gordes, who was research director for the U.S. Cyber Consequences Unit, said, and I quote, we are woefully unprepared for any large-scale geographic power outage. And for, uh, the for, uh, former um, U.S. Secretary of Energy, Ernest Monitz, uh, said the Energy Department had created an internal cyber council that spans four different offices. And he said, I quote, we believe this is an area of increasing focus. He said at uh, the Center for Strategic and Institutional Studies that our energy infrastructures are coming under increasing and more sophisticated cyber attacks, and we have to stay ahead of that. Can you imagine living in the 21st century without power, without electricity? In fact, we know exactly what they said is a, is a, a concern because our whole society and culture is so dependent upon 
the electricity and the grids that keep that electricity flowing. In fact, we heard this morning, uh, I was told that uh, there is a major across the nation internet uh, problem with internet getting out. So I'm not sure whether or not uh, we're getting out to all the the uh, people that watch us by live stream. They said it's a national thing. It's not a thing with us. It's a national thing where the vast majority of all the internet providers are having trouble getting their signals out. We've become dependent on those kinds of things, and certainly during COVID days, we have uh, become uh, very dependent on technology and the ability to get it out. But even if your internet is working, if your electricity's not working, it doesn't matter. You see, everything has become so dependent on power because when there is no power, nothing works right, right? While that would be a great tragedy, and we hope that nothing of that sort ever occurs, I want to suggest to you this morning there may be an even greater tragedy than not having power out there, physical power, and that is to not have spiritual power. There are many followers of Christ who want to follow Christ deeply, and they feel like they are failures in their faith. And they feel like it because they're trying to follow Christ with no power. They're trying to do the right things. They're trying to be the right people. And yet they're trying to do it all in their own strength. And it's a tragic thing because the fact is Jesus Christ went to the fathers, we said last week, and sent his Holy Spirit back so that we could have power for living. And so if there's no power flowing, it's not because the power is not available. It is because we just simply haven't tapped into the power. And that's the reason for this this series that I'm doing is to remind us and to help us understand just who the Holy Spirit is and understand the power that He provides for our lives. So if you're physically able to do so, I want us to talk about it again this morning. I want you to stand with me. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and following. You just follow along with me, if you will. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, would you now... With your Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts and minds. And Father, would you bring conviction into our hearts where uh, you want to move? Father, I pray that all who are listening to this message, both live and live stream, and even by tape delay, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will communicate your truth precisely where we need it to our hearts and that we will understand the magnificent power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, the passage we just read contains a number of imperatives. Now, we've used that term a lot, and it's an important term always to understand. An imperative is a command. That's what it is. So it's not an uh, option. It's not an idea. When you see an imperative in the Bible, in the Scripture, it is a command. It is God communicating something that He expects and not something that He is suggesting. And there are several imperatives, and they relate to our behavior and to the priorities of our life. And chief among these imperatives, chief among these commands is the one regarding the Holy Spirit and the authority that the Holy Spirit should have over our life. In fact, you might say that the passage and the other imperatives or other commands in this passage all center around this singular kind of command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today what I want to do is I want to show you three things about the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So let me give them to you. The first thing I want you to notice uh, in the passage we just read is the priority of being filled with the Spirit. Now remember, we read about being filled with the Spirit in verse 18, but everything above it in this particular context and below it connect there. It's like a belt, and then everything connects off up. And so the first thing that we see is the priority of being filled with the Spirit. What does Paul write in verse 15? He says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, I need to remind you that the first century when Paul wrote these words was much like the day that you and I are now living in. Or I guess you could say the day we're living in is much like the first century when the church was young and early. Here's what characterized that age. It was, it was dominated by rank paganism. Uh, there, the, there, were, there was religion everywhere. Uh, I've said to you before that the issue in the first century with Christianity wasn't that it was another religion. There were so many religions there. It wasn't that. The issue with Christianity was Christianity was exclusive in the sense that it said there's only one way to God and there's only one Lord. And if Christianity would have just come in compliance with all the others and said, that's right, you believe what you want, you believe what you want, you have your temple to your God, you have your temple to your God, we'll have our temple to Jehovah God, and we'll just all get along together in terms of our religious belief. If Christian, uh, Christians would have gone along and just said, we'll just be one of the many, nothing would have uh, been problematic. But they couldn't. And it wasn't because they were trying to be hostile to the other faiths. It was simply because they believed that Jesus Christ and him alone, he was the only way that a person could be made right with God. And so they could not and would not uh, uh, bow to the other gods of the age. It was much like the world today. One of the things that Christianity is often criticized for is the narrowness of, uh, uh, upon which our faith rests. Now, it is narrow in the fact that we believe that Jesus is the only way to God the Father, but it is broad in the sense that whosoever can come. It's not exclusive in the sense that it says you can and you can't, it is exclusive in that it says there's not many ways to God. There's simply one way to God. But whosoever can walk that path, whosoever can believe. Well, that was the first century. There are many paths they tried to argue, and Christians said, no, it's not. I'll tell you what else characterized that first century. It was moral laxity. Moral laxity. Now, we've seen in the last, I think, 25 years, uh, we've gone over the edge immorally in this country. Um, and it seems like it's gaining rapid progression to me. But I'll tell you, in the first century, it was a perverse century. They had temples to perverted sex. And you say, so some things never change, right? And the moral laxity of the age that we live in today is much like the moral laxity of that first century. A religion was superficial, and many Christians struggled to live the normal Christian life, not because of what they believed, but because they did not understand how to live what they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe nothing has changed. I think there are many Christians today who believe the right thing. They, they have trusted Christ as their Savior. They believe the Word of God. They believe what it says, every bit of it, but... Their struggle is they haven't learned how to let the Spirit of God fill them and to live their life in His power instead of trying to live for Him in their power. And so we have to understand the priority of being filled with the Spirit. Um, and Paul was saying to them, given the circumstances of their age, uh, it was imperative that they understand that the key to walking and living for God could only be found in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, frankly, there's a lot of discouragement among followers of Christ today. There is a lot of, and, and by the way, the events of the last several months have probably not helped that. And there are a lot of Christians who've simply resigned themselves to I just have to live the ordinary Christian life. They may not refer to it that way, but uh, I'll just have to live the ordinary life of Christian function. I'll just function right 
but I, I, I feel like I'm missing something. And uh, what God wants you to understand and what Paul is writing to these believers at Ephesus is that they don't have to just have the ordinary Christian life of function. When Christ and the Spirit of God has provided uh, the opportunity for them to experience the extraordinary life of spiritual power. And the fact is, the Christian life cannot be sustained without it. The supernatural power of God was given to us for that very reason. And if you miss this, you're going to, at best, you're going to, at best, if you miss what Paul's talking about here, you're going to, at best, spend a life of spiritual function and frustration and miss out on a life of spiritual fullness and spiritual power. A few years ago, I read an, an account of a woman, an actual account from, uh, according to the story, she broke down on the highway and she just coasted off to the side. She sat there on the side and uh, she couldn't get her car to crank back up. So she called uh, a local uh, a service station or a mechanic, and he, she said, I'm broke down on the side of the road. I wonder, could you come help me? And he said, I'll be there in a few minutes. He showed up, uh, pulled up. He got out. Uh, he opened the hood. He began to check everything. Everything looked really good. In a few minutes, he came back around, and he said, ma'am, I know what the problem is. He said, uh, you're just out of gas. And... Um, she looked at him, according to the story, and she said this, well, can you tell me, is it safe to drive the car without gas? <laughs> well, I want to tell you, many Christians are trying to drive their faith without spiritual fuel. And uh, that's the reason many just uh, 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 throw their hands up and say, I can't live it. I can't live for God. I, I've tried. I can't do it. The Holy Spirit is the fuel of our faith, and without it, you are simply like a car with no gas. And there are a couple of things that will help us understand, I think Paul gives us here, uh, the priority of being filled. He speaks of, if you notice, outward observation that we need to make. He says there in the passage, the days are evil. He characterizes the days they were living in. We could say that of this age. Could we not? The days are evil. And he says you need to make this outward observation. You need to, to look around you. And, and when, when the, the reason for being filled with the Spirit is when you look around you and you see the hopelessness that is so often portrayed in our world and how many folks are just trying to survive and get by and understand, Paul says, that's not what God designed for his people, not just to survive, not just to kind of get by. And we must make the out. The days are evil. And the days may look hopeless, but that's the reason that we must be filled with the Spirit. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And so we are to be filled. We, we observe, we look around, and instead of living lives of despair and just trying to survive spiritually, we say, wait a minute, there's got to be something more. And that more is called the Spirit of God. And the priority of being filled by the Spirit of God is enhanced when we look and see that the days are evil. I'll tell you, he not only talks about outward observation, he talks about inward examination too. Did you notice? He said, look carefully. He said, the days are evil. He said, look out there and you need to be filled with the spirit. And then he says, look in here. He says, look carefully how you walk. Uh, uh, we, we must honestly examine our walk with Christ and, and determine the source of our strength. I want to ask you this morning, how are you facing the ordeals of life? We've had a few here lately, haven't we? How are you facing the ordeals of life? And how are you dealing with the prospects of the future? Let me tell you, and let me answer it the way Paul did. You must be filled with the Spirit. Many people know about a little book called The Four Spiritual Laws. How many of you in here have ever seen that little book, The Four Spiritual Laws? A little tan book. It's how I learned to share my faith. Uh, as a teenager, and we would go to malls, shopping malls, and we would stop people and share the, may I share the, uh, the, the four spiritual laws with you? 
But a lot of people, and that was uh, through an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, and a lot of people uh, know about that book or remember that book. But we had another little book when I was involved with Campus Crusade. We had another little book that not too many people know about. It's a little blue book. In fact, I thought I still had some. I went digging in my archives as I was working on this message. I was going to bring it, show it to you. But it's a little blue book, and the title of it was, Have You Made the Wonderful Discovery of the Spirit-Filled Life? And it was the next, start, next page, you might say, in, in the start of a person's relationship with God. It was to understand that there's power available to you now that you've come to Christ. Make sure you tap into the power source. And that's what that little book was all about. Why was that book so important? It is because many Christians haven't really made the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life. Listen, when God saved you, He gave you the fuel that empowers you to live. But many Christians are pushing their faith instead of being carried by the fuel of their faith. Many Christians are trying to push themselves for God. I, look, I guess that's better than nothing, but it's not the way God designed it. God designed it for him to carry you through the Spirit of God. And it makes all the difference in the world. And that's why we have to be filled with the Spirit, and it must be priority. But here's the second thing Paul teaches us here, and that is he talks about the process of being filled with the Spirit in verse 18. I mean, again, this is the command of which all the others kind of uh, revolve around in this passage. Be filled with the Spirit. Stephen Alford, a great preacher many years ago, said, we ought to be consciously filled with the Holy Spirit. We ought to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. And we ought to be conspicuously filled with the Holy Spirit. To really comprehend the meaning of this command, you got to understand a little bit of its meaning in the Greek language. So I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson uh, this morning. If you really want to understand what being filled is all about, there are three things. Jot these down, all right? These will help you. First of all, that command is in what we call the present tense. It is in the present tense in the Greek. That means that this is not just an event, it is an ongoing process. Could you get that? Being filled with the Spirit is not a, an event, it's an ongoing process. It is not a one and done. I got saved, the Spirit came in, I'm filled with the Spirit, take, that's take, I'm taken care of. That's not what it means. The present tense means that the Spirit indwells me, and I am filled by the Spirit, and I am continued to be filled by the Spirit, literally in the Greek. We could say it this way. This isn't good English, but this is a good way to think of what he's saying there. This is the way you might say it. Be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled. In other words, keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, let me ask you an important question this morning. Are you being filled with the Spirit of God right now? Now, I didn't ask you, does the Holy Spirit indwell you? He, he indwells all Christians. If you're a Christian, He indwells you. I did not ask, do you believe in the fullness of Spirit? I, I didn't ask you, uh, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? Have you ever uh, surrendered completely to Him? I didn't ask you that. The question that I ask you is a personal question that requires a personal answer in your heart, and that is, are you right now being filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what it means in the present tense. And why is that an important question? Because, because our answer determines if the Spirit of God has operational authority in our life present tense. Okay, y'all got that? Be, be being filled with the Spirit. Number two, it is plural in number. It is present in tense. It is plural in number. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means simply put that this command is to be filled in every believer. The filling of the Spirit is for every believer. In other words, it's not just for the preacher or or, or the, the worship music leader. It's not just for somebody that's been called to vocational ministry. It's not for just for those in Christian leadership. The plural means it is for all of those who are part of the family of God. All of us are to be filled and, and be being filled, if you will, 
with the Spirit of God. So you need to understand that it is plural in number. It's for all of us. Nobody in the kingdom gets a pass on this. Say, well, that's for uh, uh, Christian leaders, or that's for pastors, or staffs, or those are no. It, it is for all of us that belong to God. And then here's the third thing that you need to understand. So it's present in tense. It's plural in number, and it's passive in voice. It's passive in voice. What does that mean? Well, let me explain it to you this way. Paul doesn't command us to get filled, but rather he commands us to be filled. In other words, it means that we don't fill ourselves, but it's the Spirit that fills us. It's not what we do, it is what he does in us. You got that? So it's not something we do, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, Uh, uh, I'm going to get filled full of the uh, Holy Spirit. Nope, that's not right. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, which means I'm going to allow Him to fill me. That's a surrender issue. Does that make sense? That is me surrendering. That's me bowing to His authority and saying, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. You can have me. You can fill me. Lord, fill me. I pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord. But It is you doing the work, not me doing it for you. Y'all got that? So present tense, ongoing, plural, it's for all of us. And passive voice, it is not we that uh, cause him to fill us. It is we in the sense that we allow him to do what only he can do for us. And by the way, did you also notice there it says, do not get drunk with wine? Now let me give you a little contextual background there, why he adds that. Uh, the Ephesian culture worshipped Bacchus. Do you know who Bacchus was? Bacchus was the god of wine and, um, and perversion. And uh, typically there were, were temples to Bacchus, and when they worshipped Bacchus, they believed that the way to connect with him was through getting drunk and then through sexual orgies, and that w- only through that process would they begin to discern or could they understand what the will of Bacchus was, and how best to serve and obey him. Sounds just like something the devil would persuade people to believe, right? You got to get drunk, and you got to participate in these uh, sexual perversions, and then God will speak. Sounds like a, a culture today, doesn't it? What's he talking about? Well, there's a bigger principle that he's alluding to here, and that is the principle of substitution. You see, they were substituting uh, wine and uh, uh, excess and perversion. They were substituting that for a genuine relationship with God. They were trying to fill the gap in their life. And you know, people often, they often do that, don't they? They try to use some kind of cheap substitute to fill the void in their life, some kind of temporary substitute. But frankly, nothing can fill our lives but the Spirit of God. Because, you see, that's what you've been designed to house. Listen, don't miss that line. You have been designed to house the Spirit of God. And so no substitute will work. That's why alcohol doesn't work. That's why drugs uh, don't work. That's why you can't fill the hole with hobbies You can't fill the hole with other relationships or friendships. There's just no substitute for the Spirit of God. Why? Because you are a container designed to house the Spirit of God. Now, like many of you during this pandemic, we've we've learned to to do things that previously we didn't do. Alice and I, we've we've learned to order groceries online. Y'all doing that? You know, you go online, you order the groceries, and you get an appointed time and you show up at the at the store and they bring it out to you and put it in your car and all of that and and we've learned uh, to do that but but sometimes we discovered that if you they don't have a a product that you ordered that they said they had but by the time you get there they don't have it they will substitute a product of equal value or greater is what they say but I want to tell you something we've had it happen a few times and I'll just be honest we didn't want to substitute We didn't want the substitute. We wanted the real thing. Do you understand a lot of Christians are trying to substitute something that's cheap, something that's a knockoff, uh, instead of the real thing, the Spirit of God. You have been designed for the Spirit of God. Nothing else fits. 
There are just no substitutes to fill your life other than the Spirit of God. You are a God-shaped container, and the Scripture testifies to that. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the, listen, Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Did you see? Did you understand? He said, we, we've used that expression before. We are the temple of God, and we are the temple of God, the Holy Spirit. He says that indwells you is designed uh, for you. But we always talk about that, but do we, uh, do we grasp the magnitude of what he is saying there? The magnitude of what he is saying there is nothing else fits. You are designed. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. Now let him occupy your life. Let him occupy you uh, as his temple. Blaise Pascal, a, a French mathematician, physicist, philosopher, inventor, author. His book, Pinzais, is one of the, the classics. And he said... I guess back in the 17th century, he said, and I quote, I love this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Did you get that? He said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human and the only thing that can fill it is God. The only, you are designed to house the Spirit of God. There's one entry of the Spirit when you get saved, but there are many refillings of His power. Paul writes in this same book in chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. He enters... And then he fills us. So we are commanded to be continually filled. And we have to let him do it. Daily. Hourly. Moment by moment. You know why? Because you leak. And I leak. And so I have to turn back to him and say, Lord, uh, I, I need you to, to fill me with the power of the Spirit. I, I submit and I surrender. Now, Father, I know you're there. I don't want you just to be resident in my life. I want you to be president over my life. I want you to rule over everything. And so I surrender. And if I have to do it a hundred times a day, I do it a hundred times a day, right? All right. So we're commanded to be continually filled. But here's the last thing I want you to note this morning, and that is I want you to see not just the process of being filled and not just the priority of being filled i want you to see the product of being filled with the holy spirit verses 15 through 20 i'm not going to read all of that again to you but he says he starts off uh, uh, walk uh, be careful how you walk not as uh, unwise but as wise and all through those uh, next few verses he talks about the product of being filled with the spirit i may have mentioned recently i've been i found a new biography on dl moody that was put out just a few years ago and i I've read many over the years, but uh, I've been enjoying this new one and being reminded of D.L. Moody's incredible faith and, and the power of the anointing that came upon him. That's a separate story about what God did to him at a certain place in time and on Wall Street, of all places, if you can imagine. But when D.L. Moody was preparing to hold a series of meetings over in England, there was an elderly pastor, and he protested that D.L. Moody was coming to England to hold revival meetings of such. And he said this, he said, in a gathering of these area pastors in London, he asked this question of the other pastors. He says, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, and he was, but he was a brilliant man. Uh, he's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think that he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And a younger, wiser pastor who was in the meeting stood up and responded, no, sir, he doesn't think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but it is true that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Dear friends, that's exactly what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. He wants to monopolize. 
He wants to control. And he wants to dominate your life. And when he does, I want to tell you something, things happen. Things happen. There are a lot of Christians saying, well, God never seems to do much in my life. I want to tell you, are you dominated by the Spirit of God? Are you controlled? Are you monopolized by the Spirit of God? Have you surrendered to his authority in your life and not just sat, uh, settled for his uh, occupation of your life? You want to see God work? You, you allow him to dominate your life. And then guess what? The prompting, so, so things, when you, he'll prompt you and you'll go, oh, wow. Why didn't I hear that before? Why didn't I see that before? Why didn't, why didn't God's word speak like it did before? What's happening? You've surrendered control to the one who was designed to occupy your soul. And when you do, he starts calling the shots and he helps you see things you've never seen. He helps you be a part of things you've never imagined he would allow you to be a part of. It's a fascinating thing. My wife and I were talking Friday evening about some remarkable things that the Spirit of God has done and is at work in our life. I mean, it's just incredible. And we were just talking about uh, the amazing work of the Spirit of God. And he brings things together and he, and he affirms his word. And, and it, it, Listen, you say, well, that's not happened to me. My question is, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, a lot of Baptists are scared of the Holy Spirit. A lot of Baptists think the Holy Spirit's going to make them do something nutty. And, uh, and so I want to just tell you something. You're going to get over your fear of the Holy Spirit. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit, get over your fear that the Holy Spirit may cause you to do something nutty. Listen, I want to tell you something. You don't need the Spirit to do something nutty. In fact, I want to suggest that if we don't have the Spirit of God, we're going to mess this day up, ten, uh, 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 mess up ten times before this day is over. See, but we have to get over worrying about what if, uh, what, what, could I lose my dignity? I, I, look, I'm not advocating for anything, so don't you hear that. What I'm saying is just get over your fear. Let the Spirit of God be the Spirit of God. If you want the power of the Spirit of God, you've got to let the Spirit be the Spirit instead of trying to manage the Spirit. I'm going to manage him. I want him, but I want him this way. And I'm, I'm not going to let him have all of me. I'm going to let him have parts of me. Dear friend, that, that won't work. That, that's not what he is designed for. He is designed to fill the house. And when he does... Everything changes. And by the way, let me just suggest something else to you. When the Spirit of God takes over in your life, you really don't care what other people think about your dignity. Because you're playing for an audience of one. And that's what counts, and that's what matters. But, you know, I've told you before, Jesus is a gentleman, and he won't force himself upon you to be your Savior. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit won't force you to relinquish control. He'll just let you keep struggling along and keep, keep trying to do your best for God when all God is saying is, I've provided power for you. I've, I've got power for you. You're going to tap into it, or are you just going to keep doing it by yourself? Well, Paul refers to three things in this uh, in this passage that I call them byproducts or products of being filled with, with the Spirit. Now, in future messages, I'm going to talk about some other of the products of the Spirit, like fruits of the Spirit. And by the way, that's singular. I'll tell you what that means when I get into that message down the road. It's not fruits like multiple fruits. It's singular, meaning that when the Spirit produces fruit, all the fruit is there. We'll talk about that in another message. But uh, I, we'll talk about gifts, gifts of the Spirit. We've done that before here many times. We'll talk about the gifts. Of, these are products of the Spirit. But in this passage, Paul refers to three things that I believe are the result of the Spirit's influence and filling in our life. Here they are. Number one, spiritual wisdom. In verse 15, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And here is the idea. Paul is contrasting foolish living with wise living, and, and it, it relates to daily life. And his point is this, without the Spirit of God, you're going to walk unwisely. 
And so he says, uh, be careful, look how you walk so that you may walk with wisdom. And given the context that they were in, they needed wisdom. Given the context that we are in, we need wisdom, amen? I mean, we do. And it's available to us in the Spirit of God. Um, In the Jewish and in the early Christian tradition, they would talk about the evil days, and as Paul refers to them here, and when they talked about the days being evil, it was always a characteristic in Jewish and Christian tradition that referred to the last days, the final days. And here's what it did. Because when they said the days are evil, in other words, we're in the last age, it would produce a sense of urgency about, about what opportunity remained and how much time they had to live for God and fulfill the purpose of God. And what they understood was, and what Paul is saying to them, is the days are evil, the end of the age is upon us, and we need to be wise because of that. We need to have an urgency that only can be understood fully in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of God rules over you, then His wisdom is available to direct your heart and direct your mind and your soul. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen carefully. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? He answers, he said, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit of God. Let me just stop and intersect here for a second. Too many Christians are getting their wisdom from the world. And Paul right here says, we've been given the Spirit to give us wisdom, not the wisdom that comes from the world. That's exactly what he says. And then he says, we've been taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. By the way, if you ever wonder why a person just doesn't get it out there that doesn't know God or, or that you know or a family, they just don't get it. Why is it? He just tells you right here, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, their foolishness, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things because he has the wisdom of God, but it is, uh, but is himself uh, judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What an incredible promise. We can have spiritual wisdom, but it is the product of the Spirit, not of our own intellect. And I will tell you something, you'll miss the wisdom of the Spirit when you try to logically figure everything out that God is up to. Here's the second byproduct, spiritual walking. Verse 15 again, how you walk. The word for walk denotes your behavior, literally how you walk around, how you carry yourself. The, the, it, it's an assertion that relates to daily living. And the fact is, as I've said already, you can't live faithfully for God without the resources of the Holy Spirit operating in and through you. And most Christians are attempting, most Christians are attempting to live for God by willpower. Not spirit power, willpower. I'll do it. I need to do it. I know I ought to do it. I want to do it even. Well-intentioned. I want to live for God. I want to get deep, go, uh, grow deeper. I want to go further with God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Their spiritual life is like the little train that could. Y'all, y'all remember that? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I thought I could. I thought I could. I thought I could. But then all of a sudden, the train wrecks. Not in that story, by the way. Because we, we just, I'm going to do it for God. I, I think I can do it. I want to do it for God. And listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a great frustration for many Christians. You don't have to. You don't have to live by your willpower. Live by His power. Put it this way to you. Most Christians go wrong in their conduct because they're trying to walk with God in their own strength. They're trying to deal with the details of life in their own strength. And they're trying to do what is right in their own strength. And that's why so many Christians crash and burn spiritually. 
The secret to walking with God is learning to let God walk through you. And that's why surrendering is so important. Surrendering to Him. You see, He can't walk through you if you continue trying to walk for Him. Even with good intentions. So, listen to this now. This is going to sound a little strange. Until you relax and release control, you cannot fully experience His control, His power over your conduct. And if you, if you don't like your behavior, or you're stressed out trying to live for God, it's probably because you're trying to be the captain of the ship that you weren't designed to command. Oswald Chambers, he said, and, and he wrote a lot about the Holy Spirit, but I, I love this uh, statement he made. He said, the biggest blessing in your life is when you come to the end of trying to be a Christian, the end of reliance on natural devotion, and when you come and are willing to come as a pauper and receive the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? The biggest blessing in your life is when you come to the end of trying to be a Christian. He's saying when you get to the point where you surrender and say, I can't do it. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to let you walk through me. But here's the final thing, and I close with this. I want you to see a byproduct is also spiritual worship. Verses 19 through 20, he talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, we've been created to commune with God. But the only way we can rightfully do that is when we are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about being empowered to worship. You need the Holy Spirit to help you walk right. That's true. You need the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. That, that's true. But you need the Holy Spirit to help you worship right. Have you ever been in a dead worship service? Well, now listen. No, you haven't. Not if it's a real worship service. Now, you might have been in some, some dull church or dead church services. But that's never going to be the case when there's real worship going on. Do you, you see the distinction? My point is that real worship can only occur when the Spirit of God is present in you. Where the Spirit is, worship will result. And if we are filled with the Spirit, we will then worship. Dr. Adrian Rogers said, We wear the varnish off the bench trying to get out of a dry-as-dust church service. How sad to see a filled church full of empty people trying to overflow. To keep worship from becoming routine and mundane, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fact is, worship begins not with the Holy Spirit's presence in this building, Worship begins with the Holy Spirit's presence in this building. And when worship begins with the presence of the Holy Spirit in this building, guess what happened? He fills this building. Where two or more are gathered, I'll be in their presence. Well, real worship, real communion with God cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit working in us. So, so how does this all happen? Well, I close with these two thoughts. How am I filled with the Spirit? Well, it begins with salvation. Those of you who are watching us on live stream or by television in this audience right here, it begins by salvation. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God to each person that receives Jesus Christ as Savior. And so you have to start there. If you've never put your trust in Christ today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. I don't mean say, well, I trust him for this. or I, I mean, you've never turned your life over to him. Or you're doubting and struggling. I think I am. I'm not sure. I need to settle that. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. Maybe you say, but I have done that. I'm certain of that. Then, but I want to be full of the Spirit of God. What, what, what do I do? You surrender. You see, the Spirit, if you know Christ, the Spirit dwells there, the problem becomes a surrender issue, letting Him control us. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be 
just the resident in your life. He wants to be the president over your life. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. One of them is going to dominate. That's what he's saying. And so we have to learn to surrender and take up our cross daily. That's an, the principle of surrender, daily surrendering, daily surrendering, daily. I surrender to your way. I surrender to, to, to your spirit. I allow you to fill me. I'm not going to fill you with me. I allow you to fill me. I surrender. I surrender. The Holy Spirit, Oswald Chambers said, cannot be located at the guest house. He invades the whole house. Pray with me. If you're not certain, I said a moment ago, if you're not certain if you died, you'd go to heaven. If you're not certain that you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, I mean more than just knowing about Him, agreeing with Him, believing the right thing, but have you ever fully trusted Him as your Savior? Then here's the opportunity for you to do that right now. Heads are bowed in this place. And those of you who are joining us by live stream, here's a prayer that you can offer right now. Say, I need to take care of that. I, I need to know that I know that I know. And you can pray a prayer. It goes something like this. Lord Jesus... I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me. And I want you to be my Savior. I, I want to move beyond just knowing about you. I want to receive you as my personal Savior, as the master of my soul. And I want your Holy Spirit to come in and fill my life up. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is what you've said in your word. I'm calling on you right now. And, and some of you um, listening to my voice may say, I think, but I'm not sure. Say, I want to settle that, Lord, today. I, I, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. And so if I never trusted you today, today I am trusting you to be my Savior. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Others in this place say, I know, I, I know I've settled that. I, I have no doubts about my relationship with Christ, but I don't have the power that I know he wants me to have. Would you pray something like this to him? Lord, help me surrender. Right now, I surrender in this moment, but Lord, I know how I am, and, and, and Lord, remind me when I, I, I take back over to surrender anew, and right now, I surrender to you. I want you to be the Lord and Master. I want your Holy Spirit to uh, dominate and invade all of me. I surrender to you. Now, Lord, for those who have called out to you in this manner, I know you hear their prayer, so I'm not asking you to hear it because I know you've already promised you would. But I promise that they, I ask you, Father, to cause them to understand the promise that they now, by faith, have put their trust in you, surrendered their life to you, and because of that, God, fill them with the awareness of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.